What? What was that? Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Trying to hold back this feeling for so long. And if you feel What's good to all the lovebirds and lovelorn out there? You're listening <laughs> to the Code Switch Quiet Storm on WCOD Radio. You know, I'm on the West Coast, so it would actually be KCSR, Code Switch Radio, I think. Fine, fine. Let's start over. Let's start over. (laughs) What's good to all the lovers and lovebirds out there? You're listening to Code Switch Quiet Storm on KCSR Radio. I'm Gene Demby. And that, of course, is Marvin Gaye with one of the sexiest love songs ever. Let's get it on. And I'm Shereen Marisol Miraji, and this week, we're going to get you in the mood for Valentine's Day. Sexy. By helping tackle your reader questions and quandaries about romance and race. Alliteration. Oh, there's more of that. Because we're going to talk about feelings, mm-hmm. fetishes. Ooh. But first, finances. Oh. Uh. Gene, we know talking about race makes people uncomfortable, right? Yes. But talking about money, I would say that's a close second. A very close second. I don't know the data on that, but I'm going to go out on a limb. This question that we're going to start with is a mashup of both race and finances with some relationship stuff wrapped in. It's really tricky territory, and I had to get an expert to help me out. I'm going to let her introduce herself. I'm Michelle Singletary. I'm a personal finance columnist for The Washington Post. And my column is called The Color of Money and is syndicated in dozens of newspapers across the country. Are you ready to hear a question from one of our listeners? I'm ready. Here we go. Is there an argument for my white, upper middle class, cisgendered male partner to cover more expenses and pick up the bill more? My salary is currently much higher than his, but there's so much context and nuance to our individual wealth. Is there an argument that white people dating IBPOC women, now that's an acronym for Indigenous, Black, and People of Color Women, um, is there an argument that white people dating IBPOC women should pay more in general due to systematic inequalities outside the romantic relationship? That question came to us from Jennifer Gao. What do you think, Michelle? I love this question. (laughs) She's dating. Forget the family background. Who came from money? Who makes more? Because that really doesn't matter. So she says, okay, what do they want to do as a dating couple? And can they afford it? Lay it out on the table. Clearly, there's been racism and there's pay inequity and gender inequity and all that kind of stuff. But you don't need to bring all that into your relationship. Michelle, regardless of whether you want to bring it into the relationship or not, Mm -hmm. it's there, right? Mm -hmm. It's there, so you might as well address it. I get it. I came from a low-income background. You know, I understand what that feels like, and you just, you're worried about your family. But what his people has has nothing to do with him and what he has. She already said that he makes less than her. So the only thing on the table for their relationship is her income and his income. That's all she needs to bring to the table. Now, certainly she should talk about it and express her concerns, and they should be in couples therapy. And I know that sounds crazy, like they're not even married yet. Absolutely. (laughs) Because you want to put all that stuff 
stuff out there, mm. if there's going to be resentment on the table, then that's going to affect their relationship as a married couple. I believe once you go down that road that you're seriously talking about that, put everything on the table. So it's okay that she's not feeling comfortable. It's okay that she's feeling a little like things are not fair, you know, but recognize that all that matters in that relationship is what he has and his bank accounts and what she has in her bank account and how as a couple will they share their wealth all right gd so that's michelle's take okay she was adamant that you should not expect your partner to pay more just because they've got those white male privilege bennies <laughs> She says it's better to keep it micro to just you and your partner and figure out what you can afford based on what you guys make. The big picture stuff, we're talking racism, colonialism, housing segregation, Mm. the gender pay gap. She says, leave that out of it because it's not good for your relationship. How can that dude carry all that weight? Right. That's not his fault. It might be his people's fault, but it's not his fault. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so on one (laughs) level, I sort of get what she's saying, right? And there's Mm -hmm. a way in which all these big historical and social forces, like, that play out in our lives get really messy when we talk about interpersonal relationships, right? Like, are the dynamics between you and your partner about your personalities or are they about, like, this sort of, like, aggregation of, you know what I mean, momentum of all this stuff, right? At the same time, like, wealth is not nothing, and that's the thing that's racialized, right? Like, yes, you're in a relationship with someone and you're talking about your your individual incomes. But if your partner stands to inherit wealth or if your partner has a life that is subsidized by his family's wealth, that's that's part of it, too. It is. And we talked to Jennifer and she said that's definitely the case for her partner. So that's one of the reasons why I asked for a second opinion from Janelle Jones. I'm an economic analyst at Economic Policy Institute, where I work on our program on race, ethnicity, and the economy, studying black workers and economic outcomes. So Jean Janelle says the white cisgender male partner in this relationship should be paying more. Mm. Period. Oh, my God. Yes. No, he should be paying most of it. So let me just step back a little bit and talk a little bit about the racial wealth gap. So we know that whites have so much more wealth than every other race and ethnicity. It's been this way for generations. And so there was new data released in 2016 that shows this is actually still true and it's actually getting worse. So Mm. the racial wealth gap between specifically between blacks and whites is like one to 10. Mm -hmm. And this is crazy. So like for every one dollar of wealth that a black family has, a white family has ten dollars in wealth. And then when we look across race and gender, I mean, the story is even worse. Mm. So there's always going to be sort of a double discrimination that women of color in particular face in terms of wages and, and in terms of wealth. So even though she's making more money than him, and she says in her note, my salary is currently much higher than his. So even though she's got way more pocket change, you're <laughs> saying, yes, he should be paying more. I still stick with that answer because the difference between wealth and wages is extreme, right? So wealth is something that builds on itself. Where you start has like a drastic impact on where you end up. And wealth is also this just like keeps growing. And it's a measure of economic health that is much more important than wages. So you might be making more money, but, you know, a medical expense comes up, that hits your wages, and that that makes a real dent. 
You have to loan some money to a cousin. You want to help another cousin go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things hit wages and don't really recover in the same way that wealth does. Wealth is something you can always fall back on, always draw into. Um, and having more wealth definitely means that he should pay more. I just stand by that. Okay, so what about people who say this woman is falling back on old school gender <laughs> norms where the man pays more? Uh, what do you have to say to them? Yeah, I mean, I think once institutional like discrimination against gender and race are solved, I will be willing to pay my fair share. My ancestors, my parents, my grandparents, like they are still owed something in terms of wealth from this country. Like it has been physically taken from them. The idea that everyone is born and starts from the same place is crazy. And in terms of wealth, it's just like factually incorrect. Yes. There you have it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. When we first got this question, I was like, oh, I don't know. And the more we yeah. talked about it out loud, I was like, I mean, you think about all of it. Shereen, we talk about this all the time, about the yes. stuff, that, the ways you're on the hook for all the stuff that happens in your family if you have a reasonably high income, if you're a person of color, right? Mm-hmm. There's this way in which it's uncomfortable to think about being in a relationship and also like <laughs> going on dates as like a as an avenue for reparations. But at the same time... <laughs> It's not. I mean, it's just, I feel like if they have a good relationship, they should sit down and talk it out and talk about all of these issues. I mean, yes. And yes. come to their own conclusion about what they want to do. It would be really hard, I think, thinking about things from his perspective to not get defensive. And Yes, of course. You know, if, if this is a partner that she really cares about and that she really loves, that's going to be a very uncomfortable conversation to have but hopefully now she has more information to help her with it and you know maybe she and her partner can set the mood for this very tense conversation (laughs) with the love song that's giving us life the next love song giving us life that's uh (laughs) bills 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 by destiny's child yes a very romantic love song bills 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 (laughs) All right. Next up, we're going to get into the trials and tribulations of dating while black. One big thing that we have to keep in mind as black women is that we have to define love for ourselves. And we're going to get into the messy gray area between a preference and a fetish. There are ways in which people of certain cultures, of certain races, uh, as a complete and total individual, can be seen in many respects as the crystallization of someone's culture. All that and more after the break. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com switch. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Support also comes from Independent Lens, documentaries from across the country that remind us we are all neighbors. Monday nights on PBS and streaming free on independentlens.org. Presented by ITVS. Do you love trivia, puzzles, nerdy games, and humor? What about interviews with actors, musicians, and people from all walks of life? Yeah? Then join me, Ophira Eisenberg, host of NPR's Ask Me Another, every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Shireen. Jean. Code Switch. And we're back with more of your burning Valentine's Day questions. And for this next one, we're tapping in a Code Switch producer. You've heard her name in the credits a lot. Leah Donella. She's the Draymond Green that makes our team run. Hey, guys. Um, hey. So, Leah, you have a listener question that you wanted to take on. I do. And I don't think any of us wanted to take this one on, but we're doing it. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's um, get into it. <laughs> so the question is, this is a question from Natalie. She's in Austin, Texas. And she says, I am an attractive, social, young black woman from Austin, and I can't seem to land a black man. I support mm-hmm. and participate in interracial friendships and romances, so much so that strangers frequently comment on the college brochure cover level of diversity group going on in my circle. Okay. But... I have always desired and expected black love like my parents, grandparent, and great-grandparents had. I would not say I'm waiting for a black man, but the older I get, the more weddings I attend where my brothers or cousins marry a white woman, the seemingly intentional lack of eye contact I receive while black men sidle up to my non-black friends in the club, the more I feel like it will never happen for me. I wanted my baby hair with baby hair and afros, Jackson 5 nostrils, etc., what are your thoughts on this phenomenon, and what can a black woman do to protect herself from feelings of rejection? Mm. So that's Natalie's question. Go ahead, Shereen. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Leah's answering Leah, this go question. For it. Okay, well, so I think part of the reason that we wanted to tackle this question is this is a conversation I've had so many times with so many different groups of people. I've had it with friends and family members, coworkers, college professors. And I think one of the reasons it's really tense is because it's touching on a lot of very real, very painful issues that don't get talked about a lot. Issues like? Well, issues like the fact that dating is super hard for black women. Mm -hmm. Um, They're up against a lot of racist stereotypes. You know, they're often held to European beauty standards. And then there are also all these these stereotypes about black women, like they're bossy Mm -hmm. or prudish but also somehow too sexual. They aren't fun. Um, They're lazy. All these things are competing. So Mm -hmm. we're hearing that from people on the outside and then kind of internalizing those stereotypes. But then there are also a lot of myths that go into talking about black relationships. Myths such as? And so (laughs) I think all women who are talking about like straight relationships get this myth that a good man is hard to find Mm -hmm. but black women especially and so I talked to Mm. a woman named LaDawn Black she's a relationship expert she talks a lot about black relationships specifically LaDawn Black LaDawn Black Mm. Um, and I asked her to talk a little bit about some of the myths that black women hear about dating black men we really get the message that he's not out there if you want a certain level of education you know he's not going to college so you're not getting that He's not interested in you because he's interested in dating women of other ethnicities. Or he's just simply not available to you because maybe he's in jail or just not healthy or addicted. We get those messages all the time. And what has happened is we as black women have started to internalize it. Even though we look around and see that our girlfriends are getting married, even though we look around our churches, our jobs, you know, even the neighborhoods we live in, we see happy families. We see people growing and thriving We sort of internalize that message, and we don't realize what that does to us when we go out into the dating world. Apropos of nothing, her voice is amazing. Her voice is really great. (laughs) Um, So one of the things she was saying about that was that it might be helpful, at least in terms of just getting out of your head a little bit, to look at the actual numbers. I think there's this thing where we see, like, really high-profile black men dating 
women who aren't black and then that becomes a stand-in for everyone mm-hmm. or we see a couple at the club that's interracial and we think that that's everyone. But if you look at the numbers, 75% of recently married black men are married to black women. So the majority of black men are in relationships and marrying black women. Large majority. Mm-hmm. Large majority, right? I mean, that's not to say that there aren't other challenges. So I think many of us have seen that OkCupid okay study that was done a few years back that says that black women are the least uh, messaged on dating apps. Mm-hmm. If you look at women on those dating apps, women are from every group are most likely to message or interact with people of their same race. But if you look at men, black men tend to show no differential between racial groups. So they'll equally message people of any group. Other men do not message black women at the same rates that they do other women. So the dating pool for black women on those sites is black men, basically. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it's it's a very much smaller group for other men. Mm-hmm. So there is that penalty. But the other the other side of that, I think, is also that... So the women message people of their own race first, but then they penalize both black and Asian men. So there's this idea that black Mm. men are doing super well on dating apps and have like all the people to choose from. But that's actually not true. They're not getting as many messages from people who aren't black women. Mm -hmm. Do black women also penalize them? Black women are preferential towards black men on the dating apps. Mm. Okay, But so I think even knowing those numbers, they might be slightly helpful in thinking through... The fact that as a black woman, you're probably not getting just rejected for your race by black men, but it doesn't really help you in meeting someone or knowing what to do. So I asked LaDawn what advice she would give someone who just feels like she's never getting approached. And she said, you have to approach dating the same way you would approach a career, buying a house, trying to get a promotion, trying to go to school, which is with a lot of intentionality. Mm. Um, And this is what she said. A lot of times we have this old-fashioned idea that it's going to be organic like it was when we were in college or when we were in high school or when we were in our early 20s, you know, that the guys are just going to be around. I'm going to look at you. You're going to look at me. And then we're going to go from there. And what you'll find is as life progresses, as age progresses, that's not really how people are meeting each other. And then when you add technology to the mix, that's not even how people meet today, even in their 20s. So I always ask women, are you online dating? No, because that's scary. I can get someone crazy. Okay. Are you using the dating apps? No. I mean, that really doesn't make sense to me, and that's a hookup spot. Um, Have you told your friends and family that you're interested in meeting someone of quality? I mean, that's my personal business. I really don't want to tell them. Well, those are the three key ways that people are meeting people today. Are there race-specific dating apps for Black people who want to meet other Black people? Yeah, there are actually a bunch. I think the most popular one is Black People Meet. Black People Meet. So, Natalie, you need to get on Black People Meet in Austin. There's a way in which, like, women also get pegged as desperate when they do, when they are intentional. She's absolutely right to say that people should be intentional about their their about their romantic lives. But I do think that there's a way in which that people think that being intentional will be perceived as being pressed. But I think the people that you would, that would peg you as pressed are not the people that you care about dating anyway. Sure. If you're, if you're not dating anyone, you're considered like pathetic and a failure. Mm-hmm. If you try to date someone, you're considered pressed. And the only way you can win is by having this perfect relationship that doesn't exist. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you might as well plan for what you actually want. 
Agreed. Black people meet Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Code switch brought to you this week by (laughs) blackpeoplemeet.com. There's one last thing that LaDawn said that I think is really important. Um, So Natalie in her question is talking about her parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And she has this idea of what a beautiful relationship looks like. Um, And she wants to mirror that in her own life. But LaDawn was saying that having those relationships that you look up to can be really amazing, but it can also be paralyzing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this was her advice. One big thing that we have to keep in mind as black women is that we have to define love for ourselves. Don't be afraid to have non-traditional relationships. Don't be afraid to have a relationship that's different from your parents, that's different from your girlfriends, um, that's different from what TV and movie tell you that your relationship should look like. What if he's a good Asian man? What if he's a good white man? What if he's a good Puerto Rican man? You're limiting your potential. You know, you really have to get the love that fits you, not the love that you've been sold may fit. Yeah. (laughs) The love that fits you. Good luck, Natalie. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. All right, Jean. So what happens when you're dating someone and discover that they have a decided preference for people who look just like you all the time? So you mean like nerdy dudes from Philly? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Nerdy dudes. No, actually, I don't mean that. Um, And Karen Grisby Bates is actually right across from me in studio. She's going to help answer this question. Hey, Karen. Hey, Shereen. Hey, Hey, Jean. So, as you know, we get a lot of letters from people where race and romance kind of bump into each other, like this one from Bethany. She works in a newsroom, so it's a little loud, so you have to listen closely. Okay, let's hear it. I'm a Chinese-American woman, and I've been dating a white man for a few months now. When we first started dating, I found out that all of his ex-girlfriends have been Asian or Asian-American. He was upfront about that with me. I was an Asian American studies minor in college, so I know the history and the vocabulary behind the fraught relationship between white men and Asian women. During our relationship, I've never felt like he was dating me because he had a fetish, but we've had some tough conversations about how his attraction works. He says it's purely physical, and I always come out of those feeling really frustrated. My question is, are there dimensions to the fetishization of Asian femininity beyond the sexual one that we all know about? And how can I identify that for him? So, Karen, you found someone who could answer this question. I did. I checked in with Professor Karen Tongson at the University of Southern California right here in L.A. Karen's work involves how gender and race relate to popular culture. And she says that while classically a fetish is an erotic fixation on, say, a body part or something that's separate, sometimes (laughs) this happens. I think that even though the process of fetishization is about a single part, for a whole, uh, as psychologists have described it, there are ways in which people of certain cultures, of certain races, uh, as a complete and total individual, can be seen in many respects as the part of a whole, Mm. as the representation or as the crystallization of someone's culture. So in other words, just because you're paranoid, that doesn't mean you're tripping. (laughs) Let's say a little wary instead of paranoid. You know, (laughs) Bethany's boyfriend has certain cultural expectations, not just physical ones. If he thinks, for instance, that true Asian women are always submissive or docile, that would be a problem, although she sounds as if they've worked this out. Um, But 
Karen Tongson also said, beware the person who's so into your culture that this happens. When you begin to be lectured about your own ethnicity or race from the person you're dating who's outside of that, I think that that's one red flag, certainly. It's probably the reddest of flags. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the telling symptoms of woke white guy syndrome, right? Yes, I've had that happen to me. Oh, have you? Really? <laughs> I don't listen, I get into it. Okay, right. Well, Karen Tongson says it's great when people are truly and sincerely interested in your culture as part of your whole relationship, but... I mean, I think that enthusiasm is great, but I think that there's a way, too, where you can start to see it tipping over into a form of ownership or using you as a pathway to their relationship to the broader culture, mm. as opposed to really making their relationship to the culture be about their relationship to you. In other words, don't let them use you. <laughs> hmm. So can we go back to Bethany for just a quick second? Because I have, I have some questions. So she says, um, you know, she has some issues with the way he explained his attraction to her because he said it was just purely physical. But there's nothing that's not I mean, physical preference is political. And when we talk about race, of course, it's even more political. Um, beauty norms are political. Uh, what you think is hot is political. If you say something is like anodyne is like, oh, I'm just attracted to the people I grew up around. Who you grew up around is political, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, true, like, yeah, how do you like disaggregate any of this stuff from each other? You know what I mean? You know, I don't know that you can or that you do, but I think that you can, I think you can look at it closely. And if it makes you feel weird, you don't need to prove anything. You can always go find another person to date who doesn't have those preferences, problems, hang-ups, or who doesn't make you feel as if he does. That's our teammate Karen Grigsby Bates. Thanks, Karen. You're welcome. You got a fetish for my love. So we couldn't end this question without playing the final song giving us life. It's, of course, Fetish by Selena Gomez. This is Fetish, but I just want to talk about Bills, Bills, Bills. None (laughs) of that song makes any sense. What is an automobile? I don't think you do. I don't think you do what? Anyway. Does it matter? It's just so catchy. That is our show, y'all. Please, please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We want to hear from you. Our email address is codeswitch at npr.org. You can always send us your burning questions about race with the subject line, Ask Code Switch. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Leah Danella, Sammy Yenigan, and Maria Paz Gutierrez produced this episode with help from our intern, Kumari Devarajan. It was edited by Sammy Yenigan. We had original music by Ramteen Arablui. And a big shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam, Karen Grisby Bates, who you just heard, Walter Ray Watson, Adrian Florido, Kat Chow, and Steve Drummond. Special thanks to everyone who submitted questions. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji. Be easy. Peace and love. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts.